Good to have you here, though, as we are continuing our series. Um, in the beginning of the year, one of the things we've done at Renew for many years now is take time for a week of prayer as we start the year. And over time, we've developed it into kind of a spiritual emphasis series every time we get to this stage in our church's calendar. And so that's what you're finding us. If you're a little newer here and you're finding what we're doing this week, we're kind of just getting into that spiritual life and saying, how can we kick off the year? Not only talking about Jesus being the leader and cornerstone of this church, but letting him do so practically in how we come into the year. The series is Oh My Soul, and I shared in the beginning, this isn't, we're not messing with like these heavy doctrines of dichotomy and trichotomy, we're really just talking about that inner person, the person we sometimes talk to a lot more than even other people, we talk to ourselves a lot, and sometimes even out loud, but that person that we know who we are. We love what Wearsby said. He said, your body doesn't have a soul. You are a soul. Your soul has a body. And we want to talk about that, the, the seed of our emotions and how we think and how we process things and how and if we're being real with God. So here's our question. How is your soul? How is that inner person doing? Oh, not the person that comes into church and goes, I'm fine, or how you doing? How are you doing? How is your soul? The first week, we talked about the troubled soul. The psalmist said, oh, my soul, why are you so much in anguish within me, hoping God? Just talking to himself, come on, soul. We even read that in the scriptures. Come on, soul, let's go. Week two, we were very honest, and we talked about the angry soul. I got some anger inside of me, God. And we listen to the psalmist just vent out his anger and find healing in coming clean with God. Something God already knew. Now this week, we're gonna dig into something that's even referred to sometimes as a root. We're gonna get down into that lower part of that tree. For in there can sometimes dwell bitterness. Bitterness. How do you know if your soul has some bitterness? There's some warning signs. You One, your mouth will tell on you at some point. But two, you ever find yourself having imaginary conversations with people? Oh, if I ever see them, I'm going to tell them this. Oh, you know what? I'm thinking, them. Oh, all right, you stand in front of the mirror like, I don't see them. How's your soul? Have you ever... Um, got in the trap of telling other people what someone did to you or some organization or some coach kids or some teacher or some boss and you, you're, you, you really like telling other people what they did, that's a warning sign there might be some bitterness in there. Uh, another sign is you're easily offended. Are you easily offended? Do you take offense quickly? It's a good sign you might be harboring some bitterness in that soul. Or, or what about this? Do you keep a record of people who have wronged you? And you can go back to those moments. I know what they did. And you don't have much of an eraser in your soul. You've got a record. You've got a journal. And you've built up some mechanisms to make sure that your soul doesn't get damaged. But the problem is it doesn't work, does it? And when we operate in a way that's counterintuitive to what 
scripture would tell us to do, we find it can rot inside. And then our mouth tells on us when a car pulls in front of us. Our mouth tells on us when we see a new news report. Our mouth tells on us when something doesn't go our way. And everybody goes, oh, you got some things going on? Don't talk to me about it. Meanness, grumpiness, outrage, sometimes just symptoms of bitterness. Heavenly Father, we're coming to you and going to bear our souls today that we live in a world at times that can make us a little bitter in our soul. And for some today, they might be very honest with you, God, and say, oh, it's not a little bitter. It's a lot bitter. For there are some who are frustrated with their lot in life. They're frustrated that some people get the good things and they always seem to be passed by. There are some, Lord, who are here today and they're frustrated by how you made them look when other people look like that. There are some who are embittered that it seems like evil sometimes get away with things while the righteous continue to suffer. Lord, there's bitterness sometimes in our soul and you're not surprised. You already know. But you ask us to come to you and share it. So you must know something. There is healing to honest prayers. And so Lord, we're bearing our souls in this series May you hear us in humility, but you may you hear us in honesty. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if I were to ask you this question, don't answer it out loud, for that would create a whole new set of church problems. Do you have an ax to grind with somebody? If I were to say that, do you, if there's somebody, I got an ax to grind with them, you can think of a, of a person or, or even an organization or an authority figure or a friend. Got an ax to grind? Where do we get that idiom from? You ever wonder where we get these idioms? When, when my wife and I will say like, hey, why, where's the ax grind? It's a race to Google to find out where this is, okay? And, and we will look through, what is it about this action grind? It was funny, as I was looking through different places where I could find this, I always enjoyed dictionary to come things like that. Well, I wanna look at these things, but I found that there was a little more to this idiom, axe to grind, than, than I originally thought. But it comes, it seems, from a story that Benjamin Franklin even would refer to of a boy who had a grind that he could grind his axes on and make them super sharp. How many of you have an ax? I, I do. I keep it, I keep this one right by my bed. And, uh, and, and it's incredibly sharp. They're like, why do you got an ax like that? Because one of my friends is Andrew Bishop. That's why I have an ax like this. <clears throat> and and he, he restores axes. And this ax is so sharp. It's unbelievably sharp. I mean, I could use a volunteer. No, no, we won't do that. We won't do that. But, but I, I keep the case on it. And, and this thing, I mean, is awesome. And it's beautiful. And, and I love it. Uh, but 
I hold it to kind of share what it means to have an ax to grind. It seems as if a boy, and this story goes all the way back into the 1800s where, where a man came up to a boy and he had an ax. He said, let me tell you, uh, show me your grinder there. Let me see how that works. And the boy said, sure, sure. He goes, here, take my ax. And the man gave the boy his ax and he started to grind the ax and I'm not gonna display anything there with that. But he gives it back to the man. The man goes, ha ha, and doesn't pay and leaves. And the boy all of a sudden has a, X to grind with that guy. And our phrase has developed through the years and has taken on more meaning. And that is just maybe one angle that you might hear of the idiom ax to grind. But you all know what I'm talking about. It's just that somebody that comes to your mind and I'm gonna do it visually. If you're listening on podcasts, I'm holding that ax tight. When I say that name, it's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so when I'm saying like you, you like to talk about what they did, that name comes up and you're like, oh, I don't trust that. Oh, I don't. Oh, I can't stand that. Let me tell you about that. Because you've got an ax to grind. Hey, did you hear about that school over there? Let me tell you about that school. Hey, did you hear about that politician? Let me tell you about that politician. You see how hard I'm squeezing this thing? And see, the enemy loves when you squeeze it. He loves when your wife gets to hear about it every single night. Tell her, complain, shout, yell. It's great for family health. (laughs) He loves it, teenager. When you're like, I'm gonna share this. I'm gonna expose this. He loves it because you know what? You know what it's doing? Yeah, it's getting back at him. No, it's destroying you. What? Yeah, 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 see, that's the dirty trick with bitterness. It's not really hurting the other person. They're going on with their merry life, aren't they? You're the one who's rotting inside because you have an ax to grind. Now, we're gonna put this down so good Christian people have a good day. We're gonna put that down. But what we're gonna do is go to scripture with a psalmist who has an ax to grind And guess who he picks as the person who's going to hear it? God. He bears his soul. And he is honest enough, no, courageous enough to say, I've got some bitterness, God, and I'm going to tell you why. And in the psalm we're going to look at, he's going to show us five reasons the soul can move towards bitterness and how to watch out for them. He's also gonna give us five ways to kind of safeguard our souls so that we don't let bitterness to grow within us and destroy our lives. We can't let the devil win in this area, church. And I think today, as we dig down into the root of this tree, if we get all the way down If we want our tree to look like that and not look like that, we're gonna have to get down in that root and find some of the causes of that bitterness. And you might be just so surprised at what you find. In fact, it may give you compassion for those who struggle with bitterness. It's Psalm 73. If you got your paper Bible or you got the screen or you got some sort of device, let's look at it together. It's an honest prayer from Asaph. Now, if I walked up to you and said, hey, who's Asaph in the Bible? You'd be like, 
good guy. All right, okay, okay. So, so who is this Asaph, all right? Asaph is, we get a few Psalms from him in the book of Psalms. And you say, no, David wrote the Psalms, and he did. But there's this also guy, Asaph, that joined in and wrote a few of the Psalms. So who was he? Well, well, while King David was leading, he would at times appoint worship leaders. And those worship leaders would also write songs. That's what the Psalms are. And Asaph was not only a songwriter, he was one of David's worship leaders. In fact, he was so good, it seems like he mentored well, for there's often a group called the Sons of Asaph who also wrote wrote poetry and Psalms. And so they're beautiful. But let me tell you, Asaph just lets it, he just lets it out there. Here's how I'm feeling. And I'm going to be real. You say, let's see, let's see how real. Okay, let's dig in. He starts, truly God is good to Israel. Great start. To those who are pure in heart. Absolutely. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. God is good and he is faithful to the pure. But as for me, yeah, I almost fell apart. Whoa, that's some honesty. God, you are good, but I'm about to trip and fall in my faith. What? I'm I'm interested, why, why? For I am envious of the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs until death, their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. I'm looking at the ways of the evil man. And you know what? I'm going to just say it, God, I'm jealous. I have a jealous soul right now. It seems like I'm trying to live for God and these people who don't live for God at all, they're just making money upon money. And not only that, they got things going on. They always have, they they don't live the life I've gotten. They haven't been given the lot in life. I'm tired of turning my TV on and listening and seeing these people. What's going on? He's getting caught in comparison. He's looking at his life And then he's looking at the life of the wicked and he's going, what's up with that? Do you struggle with comparison? Teenager, if you got Instagram, I promise you, you will be tempted with comparison. Isn't it interesting? I heard a pastor say this one time. One of the things we do when we're scrolling through social media is we're comparing our normal to everyone else's highlight reel. Because you're only posting your highlight reel. And so you see someone else's highlight reel and you go, my life needs to step it up. I don't have as many of this and I don't have this and there's that pressure. But what you're doing is you're comparing yourself and it can lead to a jealous soul. How do you know if you have a jealous soul? Oh, look at them. Oh, shocked they got picked. Their family always does that. Oh, we got some stuff. Because deep down inside, we're a little upset that this is happening for them. And how come not for us? We're a little disappointed in our lot in life. And our soul can get jealous. Because what we see out there is, this is what it should look like. And sometimes it even promotes comparison. But the fact of the matter is, you're looking at other people's highlight reel. And comparing it to your normal, that's just not reality. Oh, but the devil loves it. He wants you to go, I gotta get out there. I've gotta do this. I've gotta do this. I've gotta do this. Because you're caught in the comparison game and it leads to jealousy. 
And some of us would just try to hide that and, and not deal with that. But Asaph goes, there it is, God. I'm jealous. Okay, what else? Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. Not only are they getting a better life, they look good. In fact, one, one translation says, these fat cats have everything they want. They get, they get whatever they want. And then he says, they scoff and speak malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression. I mean, the righteous people of this earth have to listen to the arrogance of these get-it-alls. And on top of that, they set their mouth against the heavens as if there is no God. And they, listen, listen to that poetry. And their tongue struts through the earth. He's gonna just say it. God, I have a jealousy and I am resentful. I'm a little tired of listening to all the haves tell me how I should live my life. I mean, you ever get a little bit like, why does everyone listen to Hollywood? This is where he's at. It's like, oh, the stars, we have to do what they say, do this, listen to that. They don't even know what they're talking about. It dawned on me when I was in college that, oh my word, these Hollywood actors are playing pretend. They're playing pretend and making a ton of money for it. But it is pretend. And I would treat them or listen to them and we can follow and not to pick on that because there's a bunch of wonderful people there, I'm sure. But you ever get in your mouth like, why do we allow these people that have no regard for God to speak on behalf of God and everyone listen? I'm resentful of that, the psalmist says. I'm tired of watching the rich and the famous get more rich and famous and more, more this and more this. And we all know it's because they're beautiful. And I'm, I'm ugly. Well, we're gonna talk about this in church. God, why do I look the way I look? And they look like that, God. Hey, I, I, I got two boys. I also got a girl. I see the pressure on girls. Dads, amen. The pressure on girls of constant comparison. I remember talking to my wife in college about this um, before we were talking about something else. And she goes, well, I, I was like, well, you know, and then the girls will sometimes be dressing for the guys and stuff. She goes, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Don't think we're only dressing for you. We have the other girls that we constantly have to listen to. Wow, what incredible pressure. On top of that, they walk by the magazine saying, this is the way you gotta look, this is the way you gotta look, and if you don't look like this, you don't look like, and there's a lot, there's a lot of young girls and guys too who are going, I wanna be better looking. They get, of course they got the job. They walked in like, hi, you got the job. Of course they got the job. <laughs> you hear that resentment coming out? Oh, he's got great hair. Well, I got, anyway. You see, it comes out. It's okay to laugh because we're being real. This is in us. And we got to deal with it. God wants us to deal with this. Because if we let it go, you'll see what happens. Therefore, his people turn back to them. 
and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the most high? Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in their riches. I'm frustrated, God. The simple, they just drink in all their words like, oh, this must be truth. And I have a frustrated soul. It's annoying. It disgusts me. It bothers me. They mock. They act like God's not there. And people don't find any fault in him. A jealous soul, a resentful soul, and now here, a frustrated soul. Have you ever just been honest with God? God, I'm just gonna say, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Like we take one step as a family, four back. We take one step as an individual, over here. It's like, God, I'm getting tired. And, and the guy next door who really gives a hoot whether you exist, God. In fact, he thinks you're a joke. In fact, he thinks I'm a joke that I go to church. Look at him. This is where Asaph is at. People are like, wow, he's being real. He continues, he's not done. All in vain have I kept my heart clean. No, you didn't go there. Are you, are you listening to this? All in vain I've kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. God, I didn't go to the party. I didn't do what you told me not to do. I did what my parents asked me to do and look where it's got me. This is what he's doing. I discipline, I listen to what, I try to follow the word of God and, and this is what it gets me. This is where Asaph, he's just, he's just straight up, can we just say it? He's complaining. He has a complaining soul. Have you ever gotten caught in complain mode? Oh, it's a tough place to live. You complain and complain and complain. Brother and sister, if complaining is part of your life, okay? Forgive me for saying this, but, but maybe you need to hear it. You know the enemy thinks that's hilarious because you're destroying yourself. Have you noticed you've been complaining about that person, that government official, that decision on TV, whatever it is, for the last 10 years and nothing has been done differently? Do you see who's paying the price? Yes! Okay, okay. Then maybe that's where some of your bitterness is coming from. It's like people can do whatever they want. And so Asaph says very defeatedly, if I said... I will speak thus. I would have betrayed the generation of your children. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. I won't say it out loud. I'll go to church and be like, God is good. But this is how I'm feeling. I'll sing the song, bless the Lord, oh my soul. But this is how I'm feeling. And, and do you even try to figure out how to get out of this? Uh, it's, it's wearisome, so just I'll do what I do, but God, there it is. I have a defeated soul. I'm just, I'm just defeated, God. I'm just exhausted. I'm just beat up. I'm just done. And we've been studying laments. And, and Renew Bible understands that when laments are spoken of, there's outlines to them. And so we know the, the lament psalms, we're gonna have a complaint, 
We're gonna take it to God. We're gonna turn and have a moment of victory and we're gonna praise the Lord at the end. So we all know, we're all sitting here going, we know this is gonna end up good. But there seems to be something that interrupts Asaph that encourages him. And it's perspective. What? Perspective. Perspective always helps the complaining, defeated, jealous, resentful, and frustrated soul. Why? Because it helps them see the bigger picture. Watch what happens. He's feeling all these things, and then he says, until I went to the sanctuary of God. Then I discerned their end. He's sitting here going, the wicked are getting ahead. I, I try to discipline myself for godliness, but that guy gets over here, and they just speak their mouths. Everybody listens to what he's saying. The rich and famous, they rule the world with all their opinions, all these different things, until I went to the house of God, the place where God's presence is. He went to the temple, and there he discerned their end. He got perspective I heard an illustration said one time, what if you had five houses in a cul-de-sac or whatever you called in your area or state you're watching from? You got five houses in your little neighborhood there, okay? And all five houses got offered for luxurious, luxurious cruise tickets for a week out in the ocean except your house. Mm. The neighbors did. <gasps> what? Yeah, that guy who never cleans his yard back? Yeah. Mm. They all got them, except us? Can you believe that? Until you find out that it's 1912 and those cruise ship tickets are for the Titanic. Oh, well, it's kind of a blessing that we got left out. See, Christian, child of God, you're not even close to done your story. You're probably not even that far into it. I heard of a man who went to a counselor. And he was just struggling in his life. He was struggling with some things in his soul. And the counselor said, how long do you think you're gonna live? I said, I don't know. Maybe, maybe 30 more years. He's in his 30s or 40s. Maybe 20 more years, maybe 30 more years. The counselor, knowing he was a child of God, said, nah, you're gonna live forever. Who needs that this morning? <laughs> no, you're gonna live forever. Your soul lives forever. You're just, you're just getting started. And you want to judge everything that's happened so far as the sum of how long your soul is going to go? What was that? Perspective. Until I went into the sanctuary of God and I realized they have an end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You will make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. The unrighteous, the wicked who are tormenting, even the righteous, they're not getting away with it. Like a dream when one awakes, oh Lord, when you arouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. And then he just says it, when my soul was embittered. 
When I was pricked in the heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast, isn't that interesting? Toward you. When, when we get into the comparison world of I'm jealous of that, I'm resentful of that, I'm frustrated by that, our problem, isn't it interesting? We don't make it our problem. We make it God's problem. How come when my soul was embittered? How come they can just do that? How come they can just say that policy and we all have to do it? How come, God, are you gonna step in here and do something when my soul was embittered? My heart grew hardened. I became brutish and ignorant. When you get embittered, you get mean. You're like, man, mom's mean today. Oh boy, here goes dad. But I was like a beast towards you. Asaph is an honest writer. And he says, my soul is struggling with jealousy, resentment, frustration, complaining, and just feeling, if you're honest, defeated. Child of God, this is spiritual emphasis week. We're talking to the children of God in the room, okay? If you don't know Christ as your savior, have never committed to following a life after him, you can listen in, but this is something for the child of God. Jesus knows where you're at. When my kids were little, they would go, owie, 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 owie. What, what, what? My tummy hurts, my tummy hurts. It was always the tummy. He said, well, where does it hurt? My tummy hurts. Where does it hurt? You know, and the panic grows. There's always the one when they fall. Parents, young parents, stay with me. You know when they fall and they start to cry, but you act like nothing happened? Oh, my word, that's nothing. Come on. And they like come sometimes play off of that, and they're like, I'm bleeding out, but dad says it's okay, right? But, but like, then there's other times you got other children. They're a little more emotional, Okay. And so we're going to have a complete meltdown and it doesn't matter where, but it's like, oh, it's it's either crying. Where, 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 where does it hurt my tummy? He's like right there. And you're like, okay, all right, okay. Because sometimes parents, we have to say, where does it hurt? Turn around. I'm going to look at the screen. Ready? Ready, child of God? Where is it hurting? Because there's no way that's your problem. Something else is hurting. There's something inside Because hurt, hurt cultivates, if not left taken care of, bitterness. Have you ever heard certain environments are great for that plant? Certain environments are great to grow a business, certain areas, right? Well, there are certain environments that grow bitterness. And one of those environments is getting caught in comparison and hurt. And Jesus wants us to say where it hurts. Why? Because he doesn't know? No, because he knows exactly where it is. And telling your wife or telling your husband or telling your kids could lead to a lot of different things. But telling him, he can handle it. And he already knows. So show me where it hurts. Take me to the place. And it might just be God. I'm a little upset about my lot in life. Our testimony today is a man 
who grew up really sad about his lot in life. And halfway into his testimony, he shares that he made an unthinkable decision. He made an unbelievable choice. And one of the reasons he made that choice was so that he could stop all the hurting from becoming bitterness. Watch our testimony this morning. I knew I needed the forgiven, but I didn't want to. I wanted him to suffer like he made me suffer, like he made my family suffer. When I was born, I was born with a bilateral cleft palate, cleft lip. What that meant is I had no roof of my mouth, no upper lip. Most of the upper part of my face uh, was unformed. And for many years, I underwent cosmetic and corrective surgery. Growing up, I was a small kid. I looked different than a lot of other people. And so I dealt with a lot of bullying. I had parents that wouldn't let their kids play with me because I looked different. I had kids who used to throw rocks at me when I was in elementary school to keep me away from them, pushed me around, called me names, made it known that I wasn't wanted. I had a very lonely childhood, and that made me very, very bitter. I felt like God wasn't much different from the bullies I had dealt with growing up. The bullies and other kids had left me behind, and here it is, God having done the same thing. One Wednesday night, we'd gone to church, and it was cold, it was dark, it was raining, and my mother was sitting next to me. And I asked her, I said, Mom, why did God make me so ugly? She didn't answer me right away, which kind of unnerved me a bit. <laughs> and instead, she said, Darren, I want you to look at the windows on the side of this church building. You see how those windows are dark? You wouldn't give them a second glance. And she said, what do those same windows look like on a Sunday morning when we're worshiping? And the sunlight is streaming through all these brilliant colors falling on our faces. And she said, God has made you beautiful like that. You are a piece of that window. Son, you just have to have the eyes to see it. You've got to trust him. And it was really the first time I can remember having an adult thought. Do I believe my mom? But even more so, do I believe God? When I got older, my wife and I had moved out to California and we were living on the western slopes of the Sierra. My wife was making good money. We had a happy, healthy three-year-old daughter. The future looked very bright. And that all came to a screeching halt on August 20th, 2006. 
Um, I had gotten up that morning. I was headed to church. A man was intoxicated and uh, on high on uh, prescription pills. And he came up the blind rise on this hill and crossed the double yellow line and hit my car head on at 60 miles an hour. The whole front end of the car collapsed and crushed both of my legs. I had acid burns on my arms from the car battery exploding. Even though I was wearing the seatbelt and the airbag went off, my head still went into the windshield, so I suffered a major concussion. My left hip was shattered. My right lung was collapsed, and I was bleeding to death. I was broken. I was very broken. I spent the next August to October having surgeries. The surgeon said, before your accident, you were a 36-year-old man. He said, you're leaving this hospital with the body of a 70-year-old man. And we're going to have to amputate your right leg below the knee before you leave this hospital. You've just lost 20 years of your life. That didn't only make me stop and think that my body was broken. That really kind of broke my spirit. And it really made me question God. Other people came alongside of me and reminded me of the truth of God's word and that he had good plans for me. Well, just kind of like when I was a little boy, I, I didn't see those good plans. All I saw was broken pieces. And I wanted to die. But God had other plans. All this time, this, this chaplain, Jerry Roberts, just kept coming back to me, and he wouldn't leave me alone. He was really getting on my nerves. But he kept coming back to me, and he kept saying, Darren, God has a calling on your life. And one day, he just really got frustrated with me because I wasn't, I was just sitting there. I was, I was paralyzed. And Jerry just looked at me, and he said, Darren, do you really feel God has called you to be a professional patient for the rest of your life? And that kind of hit me between the eyes. I learned that limb loss is not equivalent to life loss. And... Out of my despair, he brought me hope. At first, I wanted to die, but now I want to live. Not only do I want to live, I want to live for him. They held a court hearing, a restitution hearing. I went before the judge and I asked the judge to forgive the amount of debt 
that this man owed us directly. The judge looked at me and said, why do you want to forgive this man that debt? And I looked at that judge and I told him, because I have a savior that forgave me my debts that I could never repay. And he looked at me and then he looked over at the court reporter and he said, I want you to take every word that Mr. Ray had said, and I want you to send it to this man and have the warden read it to him. When I learned how to forgive this guy, it made me better and not bitter. And I think it really, really helped me to heal. It took me years to really see that he was up to something. He was teaching me how I could come alongside other people and help them in their same moment of pain. I prayed with people wheelchair to wheelchair from one limb loss person to another. Growing up, all I saw was broken pieces. But God took those broken pieces and he put them back into something completely different to make me whole again. Oh, what a life he gives. What a life he's given me. My name is Darren Ray and I am second. Perspective. Sometimes all that bitterness that is easy sometimes for other believers maybe to judge and even sometimes that we are judging in ourselves really is coming from a place of hurt, of tremendous hurt. And hurt can produce bitterness if it doesn't go to God. There was a man who lived in the land of Uz, not Oz, Uz. His name was not Job, Job. And he was hurt deeply. Scripture says he was righteous and blameless before God. He had done nothing wrong and he prospered. He was wealthy, he had a wonderful family, all of that. And then there's this scene in the book of Job, which is some 42 chapters long, which metaphorically even speaks to the length of suffering. And it speaks that Satan went to God and said, of course Job serves you. But if he was stricken, he would turn on you. And Job records Satan destroying his family for he was allowed to touch everything except Job. He lost everyone but his wife, all his children, his wealth, his belongings. And through all of that, Job said the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Seeing it didn't break him. 
Satan came for more and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head to the point where Job took a piece of broken pottery which which to scrape himself while he sat in ashes. His wife came to him. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job hits a low. Chapter three, he says, let the day perish on which I was born. And the night that said, a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. He continues, why did I not die at birth? Why did I have to live this life? Job is broken. And then he has some friends that come. And they're super encouraging. They say things like this. You're being disciplined for your sin. Embrace the discipline. One friend offers, you probably deserve worse. Isn't the enemy so good at whispering voices of you had this coming when we're going through suffering? Yet Job said, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. I'm gonna keep taking this to God. He continues and even says this. How long will you not look away from me? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? The gentleman in our testimony this morning was struggling with that. It's just like one thing after another. Why? Why did God do this to me? In fact, he gets to a point where he says this, though he slay me, I'm sticking with God. I will hope in him, yet I am going to argue my ways to who? To his face. And Job questions God, and God answers Have you ever read this? It's in Job 38. God answers back and comes in a massive whirlwind and answers Job's questionings. He says, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this who questions me who has no idea what's going on? Is the paraphrase, if you will. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? I've highlighted just several questions as he goes on. Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? You know how these oceans are miles deep? Have you ever walked down there? You who question me? Have you ever entered the storehouses of snow? Whoa, you got storehouses of snow, God? Can we look at, no, no, that's another Sunday. Can you bind the chains of Pilates or loose the cords of Orion? Wait, back in the time of Job, they were talking about constellations. Yeah, yeah, can you tell the stars what to do? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? You mean the lightning says to God, here we are? Can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of that, of the young lions? You take care of the lion. I thought they went and hunt their own prey. You kind of take care of them? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? That's important to you? I mean, I'm, 
Like God's like, Job, do you know when the mountain goats give birth? And you do. The God of the universe is like, oh, we have a mountain goat give a birth today. He knows everything. God's saying, do you understand who you're asking questions to? Do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars and spreads his wings? And then God turns to Job and says, shall a fault finder contend with the almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer. And Job says, probably what I would have said. I am small, I shall not answer. I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And then God comes back with dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like this? I know that you can do all things, Job says, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful me, which I didn't know. I'll be quiet. You mean to tell me the Almighty loves Job so much that even when Job is questioning him, he listens and answers him. And on top of that, he turns to Job's friends and demands they make a sacrifice for how incorrectly they talked about him. He scolds them and defends Job's innocence before him and then restores back to Job far more than he ever had before. 42 chapters, some of suffering, where God was working out a story where Job would be spoken of in even 2023 of a life that God used in massive ways. But it was a long road to get there. Job's soul will live forever and his time on earth was used and leveraged for so many lives to be an inspiration to them. In fact, there was a man one time brought to Jesus and they said, who sinned, his parents or him, that he was born this way? And Jesus said, neither, but that the works of God would be displayed in his life. What a different perspective of suffering that the works of God will be displayed in that life. There are five things Asaph would want you to tell your soul if you're in a spot where you're headed towards bitterness. Even no matter how you feel, Psalm 73 concludes with some soul care. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand, you guide me with your counsel, and afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Lord, you are the lover of my soul. No one else loves my soul like you love my soul. He loves your soul, even in its hurting. He continues and says, whom I have heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Lord, you are the desire of my soul. And the enemy wants to trap my soul into desiring a different life when all I should desire is you. 
He continues and says, my flesh and my heart might fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Lord, only you can heal the wounds that have happened to me in my life and use them for your good. He continues and says, for behold, those who are for, far from you, they'll perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. I know you will defend my soul. I know that even though the wicked might look like they're prospering, I know in the end you will defend and even take vengeance for the things that have been done in harm. And then finally, a line that's worth highlighting in every Bible, but for me, it is good to be near God. Your soul desires to be near God, wants to be close. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of your works. Lord, you are the refuge for my soul. Child of God, if you're going through a season of suffering and all the feelings are raging to the top of jealousy that others aren't suffering like you or resentment that you have to live this way and someone else doesn't, if there's feelings of frustration about your lot in life, if there's feelings of, of just anguish about maybe how you look or what God did with you or whatever it is, the lover of your soul says, come on in, come tell me where it hurts. Our series, we've been asking this question, how is your soul? And that's important because the winds of hurt will come at the tree. They say there's often five childhood emotional wounds that people struggle to get through in their life. And we heard in our testimony this morning of wounds from childhood People even saying, don't play with that kid for how he looks. Those wounds, they can be things like abandonment, rejection, betrayal, humiliation, even feelings of injustice and in how you treat it. If those wounds aren't bandaged up by God, they can grow into a jealous soul, a resentful soul, a frustrated, complaining, and defeated soul. And so maybe if you know someone in your life that you have watched grow bitter, maybe be praying, not so much for the symptoms, but Lord, would you heal the hurt inside? And if you're here today and you're like, I don't wanna be jealous, I don't wanna be mean, I don't wanna be cruel, I don't wanna complain all the time, I really don't like that. Is it possible, is it possible you need to go tell Jesus where it hurts? It hurts right there. I know. Because if you don't tell them where it hurts, it will turn to malice, and wrong words, and angry feelings. Scripture says this, you have two choices to get bitter, get rid of it. All bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Get rid of it. But I'm just so mad. I'm just so mad at my boss. I'm just so mad at that girl. I'm just so mad at the government. And the devil said, just squeeze, squeeze, and destroy everything around you. He loves it. It's a trick, church. When the hurt is somewhere else, and you can swing the wax all you want, but all it's gonna do is scare people, one, 
and push people away. But I've been swinging my complaints in the air and nothing's changing. Yeah, except for one thing. Your soul is rotting at the core and the devil's laughing. Get rid of it. The idea is put it down, put it away, all bitterness and wrath. How do I do that? You gotta take it to the Lord and do what? Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. I don't wanna forgive them. Well then, take your cues from Jesus. Forgive one another as God through Christ has forgiven you. You owed a debt. You couldn't pay. So put the ax down because you've already been forgiven. And watch the freedom that comes up. But that means they're gonna get with it. No, they're not. Soul, rest. The Lord knows what happened. Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it go away. But it allows you freedom. There's a 300-year-old definition of forgiveness I would encourage you to process this week during week of prayer. When we strive against all thoughts of revenge, when we will not do our enemies mischief, but wish well on them, when we will grieve at their calamities, when we will pray for them, when we will seek reconciliation with them and show ourselves ready on all occasions to relieve them. Thomas Watson, body of divinity. I figured any 300-year-old definition has to be worth reviewing. It is good, it is good to put the ax down. Who do you have an ax to grind with? What organization do you have an ax to grind with? What official do you have an ax to grind with? What coach, what teacher, what friend, what student, what leader do you have an ax to grind with? Oh, your soul says, we wanna let this go until I can to the sanctuary of God. This week, we're gonna offer you an opportunity to go to a smaller sanctuary. We know as New Testament believers, we are the sanctuary for the Holy Spirit dwells within us. But we have places we gather corporately, and one of them is week of prayer. We're asking you to go in groups of 10, so you have to be registered to be go over, okay? But you have some time to work on your soul this week. Take advantage of it. Because in order to flourish, we need to nourish. At the end of each message, I've asked Spencer to come out, just play a little bit as we take some time in prayer. Oh, we're always on to the next thing and we can give hours to a lot of things. Can we give the next five minutes to our prayer life? Can we give the next five minutes to our soul and talk to the Lord if there be anywhere in there where the enemy is trying to grow bitterness. So here's our questions. Am I praying honest prayers? Is it time for me to stop saying, Lord, help me have a good day today and say, Lord, this is how I feel. Am I willing to acknowledge any bitterness? Am I ready to tell God where it hurts? I know men in their 50s who are still banged up from something dad said when they were eight. Jesus knows exactly what he said. Is it time to let that go 
and tell the only one who can really heal it? Am I submitting to my feelings or the truth? There are so many, so many. Pick on dads, how about moms? You're having a good day and then you turn on Facebook and you think you're the worst mom in the world all of a sudden. You've fallen into a comparison trap. And the reality is, it might be just hurting inside. You can't compare your normal to everybody else's highlight reel. Jesus knows where you're at. Don't submit to those feelings. Here's the truth. You're wonderful. Jesus loves you dearly, child of God. Am I willing to forgive those who have hurt me? Because they deserve it? Oh, no, no. Because you need to put the ax down for yourself. But more importantly, as an illustration of Jesus Christ that has always helped me in forgiveness, I am illustrating Jesus to others. And therefore, there must be freedom in forgiveness. So if you're here today and you'd like to spend some time with prayer, is there a jealous spirit within you? Proverbs tells us a peaceful heart leads to a healthy body, but jealousy is like a cancer to the bones. If you knew you had cancer, and many of our dear saints here do struggle with that from time to time, you would deal with it right away, right? Well, maybe your prayer then is, Lord, you know I'm jealous of this. Let's pray. Maybe you're here today and you have some resentment in you. Hebrews 12, 15 says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupt many. Maybe your prayer says, Lord, I'm struggling feeling resentful about today and you just want to be honest with God and say I, I'm frustrated with what I'm watching going on with this world it upsets me how evil just seems to run rampant how opinions and thoughts are listened to that are far from God it, it frustrates me maybe, maybe even some judgment has kind of creeped up and you need to be reminded of what Paul says. What do I have to do judging outsiders? I'm not here to judge the world. God will deal with that. I just need to take my frustrations to the Lord, know that he's in control, and no one is allowed any position of authority unless God has allowed it. But Lord, I'm a little frustrated, you might say, as you pray. 
Maybe it's, maybe it's a complaining spirit. Scripture says in Philippians 2.14, your soul needs to hear this if it's complaining. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. There is nothing that destroys a testimony of a child of God more than complaining. For when the child of God doesn't complain, Scripture says they shine like lights in this earth. Maybe it's, Lord, you know I've been complaining about this. And then maybe you just can really empathize with our testimony today who said, that really broke my spirit. Oh, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed spirit. Remind your soul that your story isn't finished yet. If you've got a pulse, you got a purpose. And not only on this earth, that soul's gonna live forever. And the story might be long. Job suffered long. But this isn't how your story ends. Soul, your soul needs to tell the Lord how it feels because there's healing there. Maybe the prayer is, God, I just so feel defeated about this. As a youth pastor, one of the neatest moments was when we gathered the kids around on a retreat, we'd sing a song. And I always had them sing this song because when I was a little boy, we would sing it at the chapel every once in a while when nobody was in there except like the youth group, which was like four of us. And it was, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, oh my soul, rejoice and to take joy and what you hear, let it be a sweet sound in your ear. It always spoke peace to my troubled soul. And God wants our souls to be poured out to him so that he can heal them. Because there's healing in the word of God. And there's healing in being honest with the one who already knows how you feel. Spencer, could you close us with singing that, I love you, Lord.
let it be a precious Father, everyone in this room, I'm sure at some point in their life has fallen into the comparison trap of questioning their lot in life, maybe what they have or what they've experienced in comparison to someone else. Asaph voiced those frustrations to the Lord and found healing as God gave him a fresh perspective. This world tricks us into wanting everything it desires but may it be the prayer of renew that we desire nothing more than being close to you. It is good for me to be near God. Amen.